Let's pray together. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for this day, this day that you have given us to worship you. It's a good day. We thank you, Lord, for a chance to sing and to pray and to give and to greet one another, to meet new people. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us in this place. We thank you for your promises that as we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. And we pray, God, that you would transform us in your presence. And God, right now, we are grateful for your word that is a light for our paths. We thank you for it. And Lord, as we open scripture together, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That you would give us tender hearts that would receive your word as a seed planted in fertile soil. That you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. God, we pray that you would make our hands strong, that our deeds in this earth would be as yours. Lord, we pray that a word of witness and life would be found on our lips. Lord, this is our prayer in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray together saying, amen and amen. Please be seated, and as you're seated, would you find a Bible and turn with me to 1 John. 1 John. We begin today a message series, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, titled Back to the Beginning. And, and some of you right now are tapping the brakes and saying, well, I can do my grocery list because I've been a Christian since 1934. Uh, I don't need anything about the beginning. Well, maybe you do because, because there are some things you just don't get beyond. There, there are some things you don't grow past uh, you get post. Uh, you, you, you never outgrow a need for a, a, a richer understanding of love, of sin. We, we never get to the point where we say, I finally got that handled. That would be a, a pinnacle of stupidity and arrogance. We, we don't get to the, the point where we say, well, I'm, I'm beyond Jesus now. There's some things that just need to be revisited again and again and again and again. In fact, one of the problems that John was trying to address is there was a bunch of people that had grown past the gospel. They had grown past faith in Christ, and they, and they were leaving the church. They were, they were following after these new teachings, new teachings that were old and new teachings that are fresh, and, and they were going after this, this stuff and they were leaving behind Christ and the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And John is a, he's an aging pastor, and, and he'd been with Jesus. He knew him. He heard his message. He'd seen the church born. He'd seen those early days of, of fresh faith where people were giving their lives and their passion, their treasure, their all for the conviction that Jesus Christ was God among us, reconciling the world unto himself. And so John took a pen in hand, and he wrote a letter. And there's no, no address listed here. This is a, a circular letter. This is, this is John's encyclical. He wants all those who claim the Christ to understand and to be shored up and strengthened. He wanted to call out to those who had turned their backs on the church and on faith, who, who, had, who had chased after those shiny trinkets like a Labrador retriever chases a squirrel. He was writing to these people to bring them back or to strengthen their hold. 
He was giving them big issues to sink their life into. And for the next several weeks, we're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to revisit those big things. Today's themes are life and light and love, things we never mature beyond. So let's begin reading in, in verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 John. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our, so that your, so that joy may be complete. How many times in those few sentences did you find the word life? John wanted to start at the core, and he said, I'm writing to you not about some philosophy or idea or faith or practice. I'm writing to you about life. And if you want to live, pay attention to me. I, I want to write to you about what I've seen and, and touched and tasted and felt with Jesus. How my life was transformed. I want to write to you about life. So if you're interested in life, listen to me John said. He spoke of Jesus as the word of life. He said that, that in the coming of Christ, life was revealed. Life in Christ showed up. It's true that Jesus was born. He was born and he cried and he had dirty diapers and he had a belly button and he had a mama. Very earthy. But this birth was an arrival. It was an arrival of God tabernacling with us in the flesh. You see, there's a lot of faiths that say, at some point we can kind of become gods if we do it right. That's razzle-dazzle, right? And it puts a lot of confidence in us. If we do these things, if we have these ascetic practices, if, if we memorize these charts, if we eat this or we don't eat that, if we follow bing, 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 maybe, just maybe, we slip the surly bonds of our humanity and we become gods. In fact, all this matter, this stuff is bad. This is what they were teaching. This is all bad stuff. Uh, this is, and, and maybe, just maybe, if we break the code, we can slip past all of this. And for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, well-meaning and interesting people have been trying that stuff. And people were leaving John's church to try that stuff. And people today try that stuff. Uh, gr grown bored with, with life, they try to become something else, maybe even a god. Here's one of the basic theological truths, and you need to have it in your heart. There is a god. Two, you're not that god. Three, you never will be. <laughs> John said, here's the story about life. It's not that humans become God, 
But here's the wild thing. That God became a human. And in that one, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that John touched, the one that John laid his head on his chest and heard his heart beat in the last hours of his life, the one that shared a table and jokes and tears and laughter, the very real one, he said he was the revelation of life. He was the word of life. He said, guys, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, you're getting itchy and you're walking away. Let's go back to the beginning. From the beginning, this is what we've proclaimed to you. From the beginning, this is what we've taught. From the beginning, this is what we believed, that in Christ you can have life, and there is no life outside of him. He is the word of life. He said, we're writing this to you so that our joy, that your joy could be complete. A careful reading of the Bible will lead you to believe that this is a big, big deal. The completion of joy. This is the, this is the ultimate end of God's design and, and, and hopes for our creation. Is that you and I would experience His joy fully in our life. This is the end game from God's perspective, joy. You ask, what is the purpose of Scripture? What was the purpose of the cross? What was the purpose of, of the, the empty tomb? What was the purpose of the manger? What was the purpose of it all? The purpose of it all, according to Scripture, is joy. One of the wildest verses in all of the Bible comes from Hebrews. And in Hebrews it says that Jesus went to the cross scorning its shame. Why? for the joy that was set before him. And here the apostle John writes, he says, I'm writing this about life because I want my joy to be full. I want your joy to be full. I want the joy of Christ to be full and experienced. He said, and this is what you want. If this is what you're interested in. And his belief in mine is that every live human being alive is interested in this. This is what we're all chasing after. This is what we were all formed for. This is what we were made for. Joyful life in God. He said, if that's what you care about, here's where you find it. Not through breaking the codes, but in coming to terms with a God wild and wonderful enough to come for you, to reveal his heart, and to draw you to himself, and to taste his joy from everlasting to everlasting. Friends, you don't get post-life. You just grow and live. And he said, Christ, the word of life, is the life that has appeared. John Updike has written a series of novels, and, and Updike was influenced by the theologian Karl Barth. 
they're, they're salty novels, so I don't really recommend them without a warning label. Don't send me emails later. But in these novels, there are a lot of truths that emerge. And in one of the stories, there were two pastors, uh, one pastor named Fritz. I, I think if you're going to be a Bardian pastor, you ought to be named Fritz or Ernst or something like that, you know? And this pastor, he's looking at another pastor, and he's talking about the work they do. He's talking about the lives that they live. And, and, and this is what he says. He said, do you think this is your job to meddle in these people's lives? I know what they teach you at that seminary now, this psychology and that, but I don't agree with it. You think now your job is to be an unpaid doctor, to run around and plug up holes and make everything smooth. I don't think that. I don't think that's your job. I say you don't know what your role is or you'd be at home locked in prayer and running back and forth. You run away from the duty given to you by God to make your faith powerful. When on Sunday morning then, when you go out before their faces, we must walk up, not worn out with misery, but full of Christ, hot with Christ, on fire. Burn them with the force of our belief. That is why they come. Why else would they pay us? Anything else we can do and say, anyone can do and say. They have doctors. They have lawyers for that. Make no mistake now, I'm serious. Make no mistake, there is nothing for us but Christ. All the rest, all this decency and busyness, it's nothing. It's devil's work. Now, in this paragraph, there's a whole bunch of hyperbole. There's a lot of things that we do that is good and right, a lot of decency and busyness. And we're not going to throw those things aside. But here's what we miss in life and in faith. If we ever get tricked into the notion that we think this, this life, this church, this faith we proclaim... If we ever come to the place where we are satisfied with decency and busyness, then we've lost out on something very, very, very important. We've lost out on life. The gospel spread from guys like John, not through decency and busyness, but through Christ because they were hot with Christ, on fire with Christ. It said of the apostles, they went about preaching Christ. Now, they said a lot of things, but their message was Jesus, the Christ. We go back to the beginning, and we never grow past this we never mature past this because this is life. Life is Christ. 
We keep reading in this chapter, and we pick up another image, and it's the image of light. Let's pick up in verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, we lie, and we do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children... I, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here John takes this image of life and he, he, he turns it into an image of light. Light is such a powerful image for John. You, you see that used in John's gospel, and you see it in this epistle again and again. And it's an important image throughout Scripture because it's something we all relate to regularly. Light is just fundamental. Light, for instance, is a source of light. Source of life. Genesis 1-3, after a little introduction, uh, you have God speaking over the chaos, speaking into the blackness and saying what? Let there be light. And that light is the beginning and the source of, of the life that would come, the life that was followed. Light is the source of the living. Light cleanses. You remember Louis Brandeis who wrote, sunlight is said to be the best disinfectant. From time to time, we, we hear that quoted uh, in calls for transparency here and there, but it's true that sunlight is a disinfectant. A number of years ago, Billy Walker gave me a bird dog. You know this story. I won't bore you with it now. But this dog needs to be walked. He runs in the yard all day long, but, but he also likes to be walked. And, and many times, early in the morning, I'll get up and, and take this dog for a walk. And one morning, uh, several years ago, uh, I was walking, and there on the side of the road was the most beautiful thing, an old Coleman cooler. It was just out there by the trash. Somebody was tossing out a Coleman cooler, and I thought, man, that's cool. So I go and I get the cooler, and I look in there, and I recognize that it only had one little small part that was broken. It could be fixed very easily, uh, and the person just didn't want to fool with it. Uh, so I put the cooler over my shoulder, and I walk my dog back home. I'm sure it was a strange sight to the people driving through the neighborhood. But I came and said, look what I found, Meredith. She's just like, you idiot. Get away from me. She didn't look at me. Yeah, she kind of did. But this cooler has become one of my prized possessions. You know those Yeti coolers, like several hundred dollar Yeti coolers? Uh, they write my cooler every year on Father's Day and, and say thank you. I mean, it's, this thing has just got it figured out. It's wonderful. Uh, and I use it for one purpose, uh, and that is to transport free-range organic meat. Y'all aren't very smart. I like to go hunting and fishing, and that's what I bring the meat home in. And uh, that's how we bring the fish home. And you can imagine this cooler gets a little weird sometimes. Uh, and, I, and I clean it out. And the best way to clean this out uh, is, is to get it clean and put it out on the sidewalk in the blinding hot sun. 
And after a few hours of that, uh, it's as white and clean as the day it rolled out of the Coleman factory in Wichita, Kansas, many, many years ago. Light is a cleansing power. And John said, listen, here's the deal. You're not becoming God's. You need to be cleansed. You can't say you're some big shot without sin. You're a sinner who needs a Savior. And this God of light, if you say that, that you've got it all together and you, you have no need for him, you're walking in the darkness and you're calling God a liar and you don't have it figured out, you're way off the mark. He said, this God is a good God, and this God comes to be a cleansing God. It says in the scriptures that the blood of Christ purifies us from all sin because light is a cleansing power. Light shows the path. Light is a source of life. Light is a cleansing power. Life show, light shows us the way. Your word is a lamp to our feet, scripture says. Uh, it's how we go from place to place. We've all been kids afraid in the woods without our flashlights, and we know, we know how frightening that is. But so many people run through life without any source of light, banging from here and there, trying to figure out on their own with no help. Light brings understanding. Light helps us make sense of all the scattered parts of our existence. The brilliant C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's light. And John was bringing them back to basics and said, Christ is light. He's the pure and the holy one that cleanses. He's the one that shows us the way. He's the one it makes all the other things make sense. The one who makes life whole. And finally, the final image is love, beginning in verse 3. Now by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments is a liar, and is such a person the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person the love of God has reached perfection. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says I'm in the light while hating his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness." This last little, little section for us to explore is, is a call to love. It's a reminder that God loved us first and that all love flows from that, that first love that comes from God, but also that we are called to demonstrate our love for God uh, by obeying Him, by doing what He's called us to do, by participating in the transformation of our lives. 
It says that we are to walk as Jesus walked. John presents Jesus as a propitiation for an atoning sacrifice, but also as a pattern for living. His life, his death, his resurrection. This is our odd baptismal identity. This is who we are. We are to have a cruciform life that is lived for the, for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And in obeying God, we, we don't do that in a vacuum. It's not that we get off on an island and we just spend our time adoring God as important and as beautiful as that is but that this relationship impacts the way we relate to everyone else. And we cannot claim that we love God when we hate other people. We are called to love as Christ has loved us. This is the beginning stuff. This is the core stuff. This is life. And this is light. May we pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for the truths of your word. And we thank you, God, that you have called us to live for more than just busyness and decency, but that you have called us to live our life in light of your glowing presence and your grace. God, help us to re recognize our deep and abiding need for you and your wonderful, extravagant love for us. Lord, I pray for anyone who is hearing this that, that this is all foreign kind of stuff to them. Lord, I pray for opportunities, maybe even beginning today, to begin a conversation about you and hope that is found in you. Lord, as we sing this hymn of commitment, I pray for anyone that would join this church or confess their faith. Lord, and seal in all of our hearts a fresh desire to walk in the light and to live the life that you have given us and to love, having been loved so beautifully by you. Lord, seal these things in our heart as we sing a song to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and let's sing this hymn of commitment together. <laughs>